You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life. Come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Welcome, everyone. Coming in here for our Sunday Gospel Reflection with Annie Mitchell. How are you doing, Annie? I am doing great, Father Hezekiah. How are you? Good. Is it Anna or Annie, Annie? Anna, Annie. Whatever you want to call me. I have gone by both of them all my life. So it's like whatever you feel like at the moment. Anna, Hannah, same name. So you have uh, your patron saint is both um, the mother and the mother mother of the the Theotokos. Yes. Right. And Hannah Samuel. Hannah from the Old Testament. Exactly. So here we are. June. um, uh, Are we in June? We are. We're in June. We are in June. Yes. This is now we are a couple of weeks out. June 18th is the Sunday we're looking at here. Preparing for June 18th and um, and continuing to celebrate in the light of the gift of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. This is the 11th Sunday. Is that right? In ordinary time? How do we get to ordinary time time for the 11th Sunday? I have no idea. But anyways, we're a couple Sundays outside of Pentecost. This is not outside of within Pentecost, right? Because Pentecost is like this shining light that enlightens everything. And we're continuing these themes now in the lectionary cycle this theme of the gift of the Holy Spirit given to us on Pentecost, which enlightens mankind, which draws the church together to be what she is and do what she does. And so we're, we're reflecting that, especially in this first reading here in Exodus, yeah. drawing us right back to the original feast of Pentecost. The original Pentecost. Yeah. So our first reading for mass on Sunday is from Exodus chapter 19. And we are reading verses two through six. The psalm is taken from Psalm 100, one of my Mm -hmm. favorites. The gospel is Matthew chapter nine, verse 36 through chapter 10, verse eight. And the epistle is St. Paul's letter to the Romans chapter five, verses six through 11. Awesome. Now, if you are new to the ICC, you enjoy these Sunday Gospel Reflections, someone forward this to you, whatever the case may be, make sure you go to the Institute of Catholic Culture website, sign up as a member. Um, And I have more to say about this in a few minutes, but it's all free of charge. Um, So please go sign up there so you can get all of the goods that the ICC is offering to you for your faith formation. Here we are, 11th Sunday order time. We're in Exodus chapter 19. My brothers and sisters, get out your Bibles. Because we don't do Bible studies at the ICC without Bibles in hand, unless you're driving down the road, of course, in the car, then please don't be driving and reading your Bible at the same time. Just have the person in the passenger seat hold the Bible for you. Okay, here we go. Exodus chapter 19. Here we go. 
In those days, the Israelites came to the desert of Sinai and pitched camp. While Israel was encamped here in front of the mountain, Moses went up the mountain to God. Then the Lord called to him and said, thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, tell the Israelites, you have seen for yourselves how I treated the Egyptians and how I bore you up on eagle wings and brought you here to myself. Therefore, if you hearken to my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my special possession, dearer to me than all other people. Though all the earth is mine, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. So, Father, you mentioned this is the first Pentecost, correct? So can you, I mean, kind of give us a little refresher of what's going on here? Yeah, let's just go back here to just one verse earlier than where our reading picks up and just see that there's actually is a timestamp here. So chapter 19, verse one, on the third new moon, after the, after the people of Israel had gone forth out of the land of Egypt. So if you count the first new moon at the beginning of Passover in Egypt, then you'd have your second new moon at about 30 days and your third new moon at about, well, here's, and now here's the question at about 60 days. However, that's not how Israel counted it. Um, because of, and you can get online. I actually got on Google and typed this out because it was very confusing to me, but nevertheless, apart from how long it took them to get from Egypt to Sinai, exactly, whether it was, some people say it was 46 days. Some people say it was over 50 days. Nevertheless, it is the feast of Pentecost, the feast of the 50 days that celebrates the giving of the law on Mount Sinai that we get here in chapter 19 in our reading that's given to us by the church today. So this is this is the original Pentecost. So first of all, the majority of our people that are in here are Christians, right? And God willing, there's some Jews in here, some non-Christians. The majority of us here at the ICC are, uh, are, are dedicated to the apostolic faith, uh, the church founded by Jesus Christ. Be aware. Remember that in Acts of the Apostles, the Apostles gathered in that room on the day of Pentecost when there were people from all nations gathering in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost is not originally a Christian feast. It is an Old Testament feast that remembers, and this is important for us because what we're doing here at the ICC with SGR is trying to get our bearings, get our context, make sure we have all the tools, right? Well, this is one of our tools. All of the Feasts of the Jews, which then, of course, are important because they are types or shadows of what the Lord did and the feasts of the Christian calendar. All of the feasts of the Old Testament have, they have multiple layers to them. And so you get these layers in your mind, all of a sudden it's very, all the confusing part of it can kind of go away. Okay. So the first layer is always your natural, uh, what do you want to call it, Annie? Harvest layer. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, oh, the the agriculture layer. Yeah. In which man sees the gift of creation and glorifies God because of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the Israelites recognized the, 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 the new moon as a gift from God. Right. Mm-hmm. They recognized the rising of the sun and the setting of the sun. Right. We still have uh, matins or morning prayer. Yeah. evening prayer 
So they were, there was the natural man looking around him. Well, well, Pentecost, look around you. For those of you from California, this is much easier because the climate in California is very similar to that in the Holy Land. Okay. And, um, and so, um, and for those of us that just returned from the Holy Land, you'll appreciate this because uh, at this time in this post Pentecost season, if we look around you, if I look out there, all the grass is really dry. In yeah. fact, the state of California requires that it all be cut down because it's already grown and now it's a fire hazard. Okay. Oh, yeah. Very helpful because if I go back about 60, 70 days, or if this was on Pentecost, 50 days back, I would hit Passover or Pascha or Easter, which Jesus passed over from death to life, right? Whereas it commemorates in the Old Testament, the Passover in, in, in Exodus, it also recalls the first green growth coming out of the dead, dry ground at that natural layer. So if I go back to Easter in California, grasses are like, boom, coming out of the ground. All the kind of, wild, we call them weeds, right? But it's like related to wheat. It's a form of wheat yeah. coming out of the ground. Boom, comes out and it was, and it's everything's a brilliant green. But within 50 days, the rain has stopped. The sun has come out and all of it is dry. Wow. So in understanding this harvest level of the feast days, we can begin to understand all of that as a foundation for the Exodus layer, which ultimately becomes a, a foundation for the Jesus layer, right? Mm -hmm. sure. And some of the feasts actually have a Davidic king layer in there also, in which more stuff is added to the feast over time, more importance or sy symbols are added. Yeah. But nevertheless, for the sake of our conversation today, Pentecost is the originally the harvest of the wheat, which began on at, at Passover when the barley, the barley is the first thing to come out of the ground. So on the on the day before Passover, when Jesus is arrested, the Jews would go to the Mount of Olives. They would they would cut a a sheaf of barley. It was a bundle of barley. It just came shooting out of the ground. Okay, think Easter time. Right. Yeah. Everything's green. They cut it. They take this bundle of green grass and they go to the temple and they offer what is called a Todah offering, a Thanksgiving offering, literally a Eucharistic offering of thanks to God. They wave this sheep of barley, this bundle of barley before the Lord, giving praise to him for the gift which they have received of new life. Yeah. That wave offering, right? The bundle is cut. When Jesus and is bound together the same day that Jesus is arrested and bound. Wow. And on the day of the resurrection, the day after Passover, Sunday, the day after the Sabbath, they would take that barley sheaf and they would offer it to the Lord in the temple as the first fruits of what is going to take place on Pentecost. Now, I hope you're thinking your head's blowing off about jesus part of it yeah. okay because on the 50 days later now on that harvest layer they would take the full wheat harvest now the barley's come up now they're going to harvest the wheat which is comes just after the barley 
and now everything's dry. They cut it all down and they bake it into loaves in a fiery oven. Are you serious? Yes. And they would wow. take the loaf baked and they would wave it before the Lord as another Eucharistic offering, fulfilling what was begun on the day of the first fruits. Now it comes to its fulfillment in the baked loaf, right? What was begun in the resurrection can become be fulfilled in Pentecost and the fire of the Holy Spirit bakes the church into a Eucharistic offering. Yeah, because now we're going to celebrate the Eucharist, which is very beautiful in the, in the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom. When we, when we pray the epiclesis, the calling down of the Holy Spirit, when in the Roman rite, when the priest places his hands over the gifts, mm-hmm. he, we pray the Holy Spirit will descend upon, this, upon us and the bread here present, which are now made one as the body of Christ. Yeah, mm-hmm. but we're getting way ahead of ourselves because we have to be back here in Exodus chapter 19 in which Israel now comes out of Egypt, celebrating the first Passover, and now to Mount Sinai. And I'm just going to, I know your, your your next question, well, maybe it's not your next question, but you re, we got to contextualize this, right? Right, yeah. We have to do that by watching what happens now to understand Pentecost, right? To understand what we know as Pentecost in its mm-hmm. original context. So yeah. on the third noon moon, they come to Mount Sinai here in verse two, they encamp at Sinai. And then Moses says to the people in verse 14. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people and, and they washed their garments. Hmm. And he said to the people, be ready on the third day. Do not go near a woman. So keep a fast from sexual relations and on the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud upon the mountain verse 17 moses brought the people out of the camp to meet god verse 18 and mount sinai was wrapped in smoke because the lord descended upon it in fire this is not we 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 see pictures of you know the fire descending on the heads of the apostles and it's so cute and nice what's going on is that Pentecost is happening again. Wow. Right? And now no longer upon just the mountain, but upon the people, which was supposed to take place here. But watch what happens in chapter 19, verse chapter, sorry, chapter 20, verse 18. Now, when all the people perceived the thundering and the lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. Why were they afraid and trembled? Well, I would be. And they stood far off and said, Moses, you speak to us. We will hear, but don't let God speak to us (laughs) lest we die. Yeah. Don't let the word of God descend upon us. Why? Because we're unworthy, right? Well, why are they unworthy? Most likely because they didn't spend those three days like they were supposed to. Yeah. They didn't spend those three days fasting. And now they realize that if they draw close to communion, if the if God speaks his word to them, they will be un, an unworthy tabernacle. They will not be able to receive the wow. gift. Yeah. So Pentecost in the upper room, 
that takes place in Acts of the Apostles is a restoration of what was supposed to happen here, because what was supposed to happen here was the beginning of the restoration of what had happened in the paradise when God breathed his gift of his life into, into his people. Yeah. Mm. So all of this now comes together, right? What's yeah. going on in Pentecost, what happens with the church, what happens, the gift of our, of chrismation or confirmation, all of these things now become one in the desire of God to share his life with us. Mm. Yeah. The law I've said this many times before. I'm going to say it again because this is what's given to us, right? In chapter 20, verses 1 and following is the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Which represent the whole of the law. The law of God is God's will for his people. That law is supposed to descend upon them, right? His word is supposed to speak. Don't let God speak to us. That word is supposed to be spoken to us so that we would receive his will into our hearts, not written on stone, but written on flesh, which is what Jeremiah says in chapter 31, verse 31 and following, right? That when the Messiah comes, this is what he's going to do. He's going to place his law, his word, his will within us, and we will now become tabernacles of the word of God. You see, what goes on in the church is not Jesus like making something up and the medieval church making something up. And now you got to come and receive communion because you're obliged to do so. It is God's original plan for his people in paradise, that plan which Adam and Eve rejected and which Israel were unable to receive has now become ours. Okay, that's my context, Annie. I don't know if you have other questions. Um, I do. Okay, so what does it mean to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation? Oh, very, very, that's 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 good. You know, I like why I like this, Annie. Is this question is because we commonly just read that phrase and just and it kind of like, of course, over us. Yeah, yeah, like Father Hezekiah, he's the priest. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe was Israel supposed to be a kingdom or what's that really mean? Yeah. Um, and so and so let's just take that apart for a moment. The, the Hebrew word for priest is is really is better translated sacrificer. And the word that we use commonly in the New Testament for priest presbyter is really elder. Hmm. And so there are two different words. And this is what gets very confusing. Why people reject the priesthood that the church has because they get it confused with the priesthood of the old Testament, which is ultimately fulfilled in the priesthood of Christ, who is our high priest into whom we are baptized. So there's a way we can speak of the new Testament church in this way, as long as it's within this gift of the priesthood of Christ, which is, to be a sacrificer, sacra feature simply is means one who makes holy, yeah, a make holier, <laughs> a make holier. I like that. I, I, yeah, I like yeah. that. This is That's this what I'm is what start calling you now. This is what you see. Make holier, Hezekiah. <laughs> yeah, a make holier. This is what Ratzinger says, Pope Benedict regarding sacrifice i know i've shared this with i always say this, i know i've shared this with you before but we have a lot of people at the institute it's always good back good to go back to the goods here yeah and he's got our book if you got a copy of pope benedict's spirit of the liturgy mm-hmm. 
page 27. I'm in the last paragraph of page 27. Interesting. That's where my bookmark was. Yes. Probably because the last time you read it, I was, yeah, quoting this. Here we go. Page 27. Last paragraph. Once again, here we go. Ready? Yep. Once again, we face the question of what is worship? What happens when we worship? In all religions, sacrifice, there it is. Mm -hmm. The sacrificer is at the heart of worship. But this is a concept that has been buried under the debris of endless misunderstandings. The common view is that sacrifice, making of the making holy, has something to do with destruction. It means handing over to God a reality that is in some way precious to man. Now, stop. Because that the, the majority of Catholics, the majority of Christians actually that's their definition, right? Why do we sacrifice things? So that we can set them apart, set them aside and get rid of them and, and take them out of the use of right. Now, this handing over presupposes that it is withdrawn from use by man, and that can only happen through its destruction, its definitive removal from the hands of man. But this immediately raises the question, what pleasure is God supposed to take in destruction? Is anything really surrendered to God through destruction? One answer is that destruction always conceals within itself the act of acknowledging God's sovereignty over all things. But can such a mechanical act really serve God's glory? Obviously not. Surrender, true surrender to God looks very different in, in accord with the Father's and fidelity to biblical thought in the union of man and creation with God. So true surrender to God consists of union of man and creation with God. Belonging to God has nothing to do with destruction or non-being, it is rather a way of being. It means emerging from self in the state of separation, apparent autonomy, of existing only for oneself and in oneself. Now stop, you got to hold on to that. It's important because we're talking about a kingdom now. Yeah. It means losing oneself as the only way of finding oneself. This is why St. Augustine could say that tr the true sacrifice is the Chivitas day that is love transform mankind, the divinization of creation, the surrender of all things to God. That is the purpose of the world. That is the essence of sacrifice and worship. Now, so you come back to your question: what is this kingdom of priests? Well, a kingdom is, is a gathering of people around their king. And now we're talking about a kingdom of, of, of make holiers, right? Of sacrificers, that is, of those who have a way of being. I'm going back to Ratzinger here. I'm just pulling something. Yeah. A way of being, which is not existing for oneself, but of giving oneself. That's the best yeah. way to say it, right? giving oneself to the king and to one another. And that's where the image and likeness business has to come in here for a moment, because we, we are made in the image and likeness of the one who has given his life for us. He who is loved from all eternity has poured out his life in the life of the Holy Trinity. We are made in this image and likeness, and therefore we are called to do what he does with him and with one another. This is the gift of the, of the ascension of the Lord, the gift of the Holy Spirit given on Pentecost, that we are incorporated in this life of the Trinity, which is the life of the makers of holiness. The sharing of God, holiness is an attribute of God, right? It's, it's the life of God 
active among us so that the church is now in the image and likeness of the eternal church, which is the Holy Trinity. Mm. Yeah. So but, but I have to go back, Andy, because you're saying to yourself right now, all those guys, you're talking too much about the New Testament. You're supposed to be talking about Exodus. My brothers and sisters, the Old Testament church is the beginning of what is revealed to us in the fullness of the New Testament church. God doesn't change his plan. It is the plan for Adam and Eve in the beginning that they would, they would live in the image and likeness of the Holy Trinity. Yeah, they would live this life of loving communion. That's why Adam could not be alone. Because by nature, he had to be in relation if he was going to truly live in the image and likeness of God. Thus, Eve was made. That in their love for one another, they would re reveal the life of the Holy Trinity. You want to know why marriage is under attack? Because the devil wants to marriage. stop yeah. the revelation of God on earth. Divorce is the hallmark of the evil one. It is what took place in the very beginning when Adam and Eve fell. Is the first divorce between God and man and between man and, and, and woman. This is what St. Ephraim says. If you go back, I know I'm going way out of, now I am on a hobby horse. Okay. <laughs> but if you go look back at Genesis chapter three, verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and then it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, and then he and he ate. So St. Ephraim says, look, she ate first. She ate first before her husband, so that in her sin, she might become head over her head. That she might become older in divinity in the presence of the one who is older than her in humanity. St. John Chrysostom says, what were you doing speaking with the serpent in the first place? You should have been speaking with the one for whom you had been made, with whom you shared all things on equal terms. Now, for those that think Father Hezekiah is a misogynist, I am not. <laughs> I am not. You have to read the words of scripture as they're intended to see that this that the breakdown itself. It's not an attack on Eve. The attack on Eve is the serpent attacking and Adam not defending. But then the breakdown that happens is a divorce, and that's the point. There's a divorce between Adam and Eve that happens at this moment, which is why in the Gospel of John. John begins in a, with a seven-day progression that concludes and culminates at the wedding of the Feast of Canaan in chapter 2. After three days, in addition to the four days of John's beginning story. I'm not going to go into that too much right now, but John chapter 1 is all laid out. Chapter, chapter 1 and chapter 2, verse 1, is all laid out in a seven-day progression. The next day, the next day, the next day, and three days later, seven days. And there's a wedding feast at Cana, which is Jesus makes this his first miracle. After he, after he conquers the evil one through his fasting, he's reversing what happened in the beginning. He reverses Adam, who became hungry, ate and sinned. Jesus became hungry, and he, and, he, and he rejected the devil and his temptations. And having restored man 
to his proper place, he then restores the marriage feast of, of creations. This is what happens in Exodus. This is what God is calling his people to in Exodus is a marriage feast between God and Israel. Okay, yeah. Annie, there's my opening comments about the context. Well, absolutely, because this is the beginning of the, the covenant, right? That that he's making, which is kind of like a marriage between yeah. him and, and Israel. So he says in here, Father, it says, therefore, if you hearken, this is God talking, if you hearken to my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my special possession, dearer to me than all other people, which kind of sounds like marital language. Come yeah. to think of it, now like that you're saying five, that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Though all the earth is mine, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. So he says that that will happen if they hearken to his voice and keep his covenant, but they don't. They like, don't. It's not the, how many chapters later they they initiate the divorce, so to speak, with the with right. the golden calf. So right. No, no, I think I this is why I think that there's a good point. Something it's not me, it's other commentators have said this, and that that most likely they actually didn't keep those three days of fasting. Yeah. Most likely they didn't prepare themselves for this encounter. So the if is a big old if. It's a yeah. It, and that, that if happens all the time through these next couple of books of the Bible, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all of them have, but if you will do this, because the Lord knows that they're not doing it. And the Lord knows that they won't do it. Right? <laughs> In fact, yeah. I, I have to go to Jeremiah 31, 31 with you, because this is exactly the language is used here, specifically in relation to this moment. Okay, and so it, it behooves us to go here, Je Je Jeremiah 31, 31. Did I just use the word behoove? Okay. Behoove. You're, <laughs> That's, you're reading too much Bible. Behoove us. Okay, Jeremiah 31, 31. All right, behold, are you with me? Yep, I'm here. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, the house of Jacob, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, right? This is what we're doing, right? Exodus chapter yeah. 19. My covenant, which they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it upon their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. All right. So, and by the way, I'm going to add something for a moment to this. This is very, I, I'm, we can't go down this road too far, but it's very beautiful. Um, and no longer shall each man teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest is the Lord. And I will forgive their iniquities and I will remember their sin no more. And I, there's something really, you might be like, well, why? Wait a minute. I thought teaching was a good thing. Well, it's a good thing in the economy of restoration. Yeah. Right. But if somebody needs to be taught, what does that tell you about the person? They haven't been taught yet. They don't know. Yeah. St. Paul uses this exact same language regarding a husband and wife in the Eucharistic liturgy. When he says, if a woman has a question of her husband in the midst of the gathering, the, the ecclesia, the church gathering, she is not to ask. She has to, they have to go home in private 
And then they can ask because in the midst of the gathering, everything is restored and the gathering should shine forth the restoration. Some people get very upset by St. Paul's language regarding husband and wife. He says, oh, he's, you know, against women. All that stuff. No, no, no. St. Paul wants to make sure that the gathering reveals the fullness of the communion. And if there's a lacking of communion that the husband knows something the wife doesn't know, don't reveal that here. Go home and figure it out and then come back and reveal this total unity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's getting way off the mar- uh, the, 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 the wow. our, our discussion, that's but it neat, just though. to show you yeah. how these things work together, the new Testament and the old. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I totally, I didn't read this great quote from St. Augustine. So I have to do so the Pen- Pentecost to the Pentecost too that we observe, that is the 50th day from the passion and resurrection of the Lord, or on that day, he sent to us the Holy Paraclete whom he had promised. I say for on that day, he sent to us the Holy Paraclete, which he had promised. This was prefigured in the Jewish Passover for on the 50th day after the slain of the lamb, mm-hmm. that is after Passover, Right. Moses on the mountain received the law written with the finger of God. So mm. it prefigures this gift, which was begun there. And now the fire descends upon the church and we receive the law now within our hearts, which is why I'm constantly harping on, on the laws of obligation, which I am not a fan of when the church imposes obligations on feast days and then transfers them to Sundays so that people don't fall into mortal sin, rather than saying, we're not going to impose an obligation, but rather an invitation. The reality is the same. If you don't have communion with the resurrected Lord, then my brothers and sisters, you're going to die, right? So the reality is the same, but, but, I, but the, how we approach it is different. And oftentimes, and I'll just do this right here real quick. I've done it before, but for those who are new to the ICC, I think it's it's maybe it's a little bit helpful. And that is that the church does have certain obligatory laws that look a lot like Judaism. We get accused by Protestants of kind of being not, not being free with the freedom of the New Testament, right? Well, those laws are given to those that are about to fall off the body of Christ, the hangnail right? At least you have to do this. If you don't do this, you're going to be in mortal sin. You're going to fall off the body. So at least look, if you don't fast on what, what, there's not many obligation laws left. If you don't fast on good Friday, right? That is an obligation. Okay. I say, I believe, because you know what? I don't know. Like, because here at the ICC, none of us really are asking that question, right? Right. It's, it's not what about we what, we're, what we right? have to do. It's exactly. what we do. Yeah. Right. It's what we want to do because the fire has descended into our hearts. And the church gives those laws for those that are on the edge of the body saying, you wait, don't, don't fall off. So they look a lot like Judaism. But for you and I, we shouldn't be. It's like I've said this before, about the edge of the freeway, right? The, the, those are the kind of guardrails, the obligatory things. Saying you at least have to get a mass by, I don't know when. What what oh, is yeah. the the gospel or the there's all the, kinds of debates over that. The epistle or gospel, you at or least consecration. At least yeah. you have to fast for one hour. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That means you cannot have the hamburger still hanging off your mustache. <laughs> When you come to communion, okay, he's like, do you eat hamburgers for breakfast? These are minimalist laws because they're the edge of the body. But don't 
be that's not your spiritual life make the center of the highway your spiritual life the life of the monks the life of the saints be alive in god because you've received the gift of the holy spirit within you and is now the fire which burns within you and is the driving force of your life it's a real comfort to me when i can't find the toddler's shoes and we walk in like halfway through the gospel um you know i'm not I haven't necessarily fallen into mortal sin. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. <laughs> okay. Look, just one word about Psalm 100. First of all, I want to recognize Sister Angela Marie. Angela Marie, right? Sister Angela called me the other day and said, Father, I love it when you guys do that chanting of the Psalms. That, like you put on there's sometimes yeah. you do some Byzantine chant or other chanting of the Psalms. She said how much they, she she loves it. So if you guys love it when we do those. Um, let us know and we will, you know, we're happy to receive your, uh, your input. You know, we love to hear what you have to say about SGR. If you mm-hmm. want to email um, info, I-N-F-O at instituteofcatholicculture.org. If you don't like what we do, well, if you don't like what we do, you wouldn't have made it this far in this study. So everybody in here now <laughs> likes what we're doing here. So give us, You're again, with us, give us for the long haul. Give us a little input. You know what you like, what you don't like, what you think we could do better on, what you wish we would do. You want to do it shorter. You want to do it longer. I don't know. But uh, here we are, Psalm 100. I'll just, I've said, said, I keep saying, I've said this before, but the Psalm is to be sung. And this is a great example. I mean, this is, this does not work, right? Sing joyfully to the Lord, all you lands. We are his people. The well, sheep I was just going to do the flock. first part of it. We are. Oh, the... oh, did you want me to keep going? Sorry, I didn't know I was supposed to all do the <laughs> no, next okay. line. I thought you were trying to get me to do that. We'll do it the, the way response. it's done this Sunday. Ready? We okay. are his. Okay, ready. We are his people, the sheep of his flock. We are his people, the sheep of his flock. Sing joyfully to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful song. We are his people, the sheep okay. of his flock. <laughs> my, my brother and sisters. I have to do it. You have to like do it in fits because you forget what the response is when exactly. you're not reading along. <laughs> it's supposed to be sung. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Sing joyfully to the Lord, all you land. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful song. It's time we restore the high mass. It's time we restore chanting in our churches. And uh, here we are with Psalm 100. So my brothers and sisters, sing out to the Lord. Sing joyfully to him, all you lands, for this gift which he has given to his people. Let's move on to our gospel. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 through chapter 10, verse 8. Yeah. And uh, actually, Psalm 100 makes a nice link between uh, the first reading and the gospel here. So here we go. Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 36. At the sight of the crowds, Jesus's heart was moved with pity for them because they were troubled and abandoned like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. Then he summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to cure every disease and every illness. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon called Peter, 
and his brother Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon from Cana, Cana, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus sent out these 12 after instructing them thus, do not go into pagan territory or enter a Samaritan town. Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, make this proclamation. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, drive out demons. Without cost, you have received. Without cost, you are to give. All right, there is a lot to unpack in this uh, gospel here, but um, plus some plus some righteous words from the Lord about the mission of the culture. But right. I'm holding off for now. Hold off, hold off. We'll we'll conclude perhaps with that. Okay. Well, we'll see if you can hold off that long. <laughs> okay. My first question is, um, why is he moved with pity for the crowds? I mean, like, what's been going on prior to this that he's so moved with pity? Uh, okay. Well, let's let's um let's take a look here. Um, and, and I think honestly, I knew you're going to ask that question. So I just kind of like flipped back in my Bible. And I, this is uh, again, going back to the importance of highlighting your Bible, your eyes can Mm -hmm. kind of focus on things going back and always asking yourself these questions. What is the context? So why is he moved with pity? What's going on in the chapters before it? And you'll just, I just want to just maybe scan a couple things. I'm going to go to, to chapter. Well, just notice what's going on. Jesus has been up on the Mount of Beatitudes. Again, those that just came back from the Holy Land ICC pilgrimage, we were standing here. And it's here that he gives the Beatitudes here in chapter 5. And then the following chapters, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, he finally comes down from the mountain. When he came down from the mountain... Great crowds followed, and behold, a leper came, right? And now he's walking, and and um in, in chapter uh eight, verse 18, he gave orders to go over to the other side. Hmm. And there he's going to encounter the demoniacs. Chapter 9, verse 1, getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. Okay, these are I can't stress to you how important geography is. Okay. I'm going to pull up here the picture, the map of the Sea of Galilee. And you see here Capernaum. You also see the uh, Jordan River flowing into the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River flowing out of the Sea of Galilee. And then the, just to note that when he says his own city, most likely he's speaking of Capernaum. Okay. Okay. He spent so much time in Capernaum. Capernaum is the place where there is a a place for the boats to dock. There's um, the fisher being pulled out. The tax collector's office is there. The 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 um, the trade route that follows the Fertile Crescent comes right into the Holy Land right there and comes heads out to the sea. It is called the Via Maris, the Way of the Sea. So everything's going on there in Capernaum. It's there that he kind of begins his ministry. And as he's kind of gaining steam, what's going on? Well, the Jews, the Pharisees, 
and the Sadducees, the, the Herodians, the rulers, the Romans are all watching what's going on. So as Jesus, as crowds gathered around him and he's, and he's healing people and there's more, more people, this is, we're talking thousands of people gathering. Now you got to realize that, that thousands of people descending upon Capernaum is like thousands of people descending upon your house. It's not that big. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. a, it, yes, it's a trade route. Yes. There's a dock for the boats, but you're talking about a fairly small and they've excavated that area. It's not that big. It's like I mean, the size of my church property, some acres, a couple of acres, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so for thousands of people to send upon this area is crazy. And so of course the Pharisees are getting concerned. Okay. So take a look at chapter seven, verse well, look at verse one. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and measure, and the measure you give will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice a log that is in your own? How or, or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Okay, so there's already some maybe a little bit of tension forming. Okay, look at verse 15, chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Okay, so again, there's Jesus is giving his beatitudes up here in chapter five and chapter eight he's coming down but just before that things are starting to get a little bit he's starting to get a little bit a little argument going he comes down there's crowds and crowds of people following him chapter eight verse 11 i tell you many will come from the east and the west to sit down at the table with abraham isaac and jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness there men will weep and gnash their teeth. Well, what's he, what's, what, what's Jesus, what's he going after here? Look at verse 18, chapter eight, verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw the great crowds around me, he gave orders to go over the other side. Why then does he get out of here? Because behind the story is a story. And I, that's, again, I've said this before, the Pharisees are starting to, starting to feel very much judged by the Lord. Yeah. And they're starting to plot his arrest. Every time a crowd gathers around Jesus, the first time he does a healing, he tells people, go tell everybody what's going on. But then as the crowd forms, he says, we got to get out of here because Jesus knows he's got to get arrested in Jerusalem, not in Galilee. So he gets in a boat and he goes over to the other side. Well, what's the other side? These two sides of the sea divided by the Jordan River flowing down the mountain or down the center are controlled by Herod, the great sons. Yes, Herod and Philip. And so he goes, he changes uh, government jurisdictions, right? He goes and moves to another state where yeah. he can't be arrested. And then he goes there and the same thing happens. He heals and he says, go tell people what's, there, what's going on. But the next time he's going to go over there and the crowds are going to form, he's going to say, shh, quiet down. He's going to get back in the boat. He's going to go back to the other side. He's constantly moving so as he doesn't get arrested. Okay. And then chapter nine, verse one. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own. I said that chapter nine, verse one. Yeah. And then look, verse, verse 10. 
And as he sat at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So now they're starting to come out. They're starting to the attack, right? In chapter 9, verse 32. As they were going away, behold, a dumb demoniac was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the dumb man spoke and the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said he cast out demons by the prince of demons. You see, so now, so now you know the story behind the story. It's a, it, this, the situation is not good. This is why they are a sheep without a shepherd, because those that were supposed to shepherd God's people, again, you can go back and read Ezekiel chapter 34, which we did just about what? A couple weeks ago, it seems. Well, it was, it was the raising of Lazarus. Yeah. Yeah. Two weeks in the Roman calendar, I think two weeks before, before Pascha, before Easter, yeah. right? The week, Sunday before Palm Sunday. Yeah. The raise of Lazarus. You can go back and listen at the ICC or SGR if you want, but, but go read Ezekiel chapter 34, which is the language Jesus is drawing from here in this passage that God's people are without a shepherd or they are truly in sheep's clothing, but they're in reality ravenous wolves full feeding themselves on the sheep. Yeah. And that's what Ezekiel chapter 34 says. Yeah. And now he's going to call them out. Uh, for this. So chapter nine, this is my whole, my answer to you, Annie, chapter nine behind the scene is a boiling, simmering cauldron of accusation and the Lord's firing it at them and they're firing it at the Lord. So much for the nice Jesus who's about to send his disciples out now because they just went through boot camp, right? Chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven, chapter eight, is the boot camp chapter nine is the sending out sending out okay well i'm curious then because so, 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 stop for a second so what are you gonna do go back and read those chapters because you my brothers and sisters if the gift of the holy spirit is sent out and you got to go to the training ground with the lord so that you know how to go out now he's going to say it in in very short order how to go out go ahead amy absolutely okay so um, can we talk about this sort of in comparison to the Great Commission? Because at the end of Matthew's gospel, he mm -hmm. tells them to go out to all the nations, right? Sure. But in this one, in, in this passage, he tells them that that they need to um, not go, right. do not go into pagan territory right. or enter a Samaritan town. Um, why? Why does he tell them that? Well, I'll just share with you what St. Gregory the Great has to say about this, because it is a little confusing why it seems as though Jesus kind of backtracks. I mean, he does this a number of times, right, about the woman, the, the Syrophoenician woman. He's like, I'm not oh, giving yeah. the, the, you know, whatever to the dogs. And she says, you know, even the dogs eat the crumb off the master's table. There's been multiple times that this happens. Um, and you're right, Annie, other times when it doesn't happen, when it appears that the church is very evangelical, Jesus isn't being very evangelical right now. <laughs> um, and, um, um, but I think St. Gregory the Great nails it here. He says, isn't it clear to all dearly beloved that our Redeemer came into the world for the salvation of the Gentiles, the peoples, 
Yet when we behold Samaritans called daily to the faith, what did he mean when he sent his disciples to preach and said, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He wished that the proclamation be offered first to the Jews alone. Then it would be offered to the Gentiles. This conclusion we draw from the actual outcome of history. When the former were called but refused to be converted, the holy preachers would turn to the calling of the Gentiles as outsiders. So what happened to the Jews by way of example proved to be an increase of grace for the Gentiles. For there were at that time some from among the Jews who were to be called and some from among the Gentiles who were not to be called. Okay, and so forth. So I, I say the best way to understand this is that Jesus has come to restore the kingdom of God on earth. That kingdom is reformed after the fall of our first parents. It's reformed by God with the calling of Israel out of Egypt or the calling of Abraham, actually, right? And when he calls Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he says, you are to be a blessing to the nations. Abraham and his descendants were called for a purpose. And this is something, I, I uh, sadly, that the Jews of the time of Christ had become blinded to. They're very insular. And today, very much, that they forgot their purpose. And sadly, today, I would say this can also be applied to many within the church. And the, the gift of grace is not for me. It is for me, but only if it's to be given away so that I'm transformed into who God is, who is the one who pours out his life, right? Yeah. But if I'm, a, if I'm a, a receiver, a taker, but not a giver, it's a great image of the Sea of Galilee, which receives the Jordan River and it flows out. The Dead Sea, which receives the Jordan River, same water, but it has no outlet. Wow. Yeah? Yeah. And it becomes salty. It becomes dead, whereas Sea of Galilee is living. So what, what's Jesus talking about? Well, he, Jesus has come, born of the Virgin Mary, into the house of David to restore the kingdom of David, which is ultimately the kingdom of God. But to restore that kingdom of David in its right way, that is to make that kingdom a shining light that might transform the whole world. They say, well, wait a minute. Why would, would, would God do this? Why would he use one people and not another people and so forth? It's because he loves us and he loves us so much that he, he I said, I've said before, he, he loves us too much to save us without us. He chooses us to be members of his body. Each one of us has a different part, a different function. God's people, the old Testament were to be that light that shines out. That was their, that was their calling. And so he begins with that restoration and calling the apostles together to then go out to the 70 who then go out to all of, of, of the, the lost people of Israel, right? All of the tribes to regather the tribes that were broken apart at the, at the uh, breaking apart of the kingdom of God and ultimately the conquest of the Assyrians and, and Babylonians to restore that together so that Israel the descendants of Abraham might again do what they were meant to do. Remember, the apostles were Jews. Right. The 70 were Jews. 3,000 Jews converted on Pentecost. The early church was the Old Testament church doing what it was supposed to do. And then what did it do? It went out. Yeah. To the Gentiles, right? To the Samaritans and to then to the Gentiles. 
so that all of God's people might be gathered again in once again. Wow. All right. Well, can you then reflect on this in light of our own celebration since we're we're still living in the glow of Pentecost today? Well, I'll just share with you again. I have listen, I have two great quotes from the fathers. I'd rather share with you the fathers than you know than Father Hezekiah. So here we go. Saint Hilary of Poitiers. All the power possessed by the Lord is bestowed upon the apostles. Those who were prefigured in the image and likeness of God in Adam have now received the perfect image and likeness of Christ. They have been given powers in no way different from those of the Lord. Those once earthbound now become heaven-centered. They will proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that the image and likeness of God are now appropriated to the company in the company of truth so that all of the holy ones who have been made heirs of heaven may reign with the Lord. Let them cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers and cast out devils. Whatever impairment Adam's body had incurred from being goaded on by Satan, let the apostles wipe away through their sharing in the Lord's power. And they and, and that they may fully obtain the likeness of God according to the prophecy of Genesis. They are ordered to give freely what uh, what they freely have received. Thus, a gift freely bestowed should be freely dispensed. So now, what happens with the apostles? Just like what happened with Israel was meant for all the nations, so what happens with the apostles is meant for all of the peoples. They are sent out that all of the church being formed around Christ might become a light which shines out from us to all others to transform the world, beginning at the Eucharistic gifts and then transforming the whole world, divinizing the whole world. What, what is what, this? All of this now is given to God's people. Yeah. So that we might live in the image and likeness of God as Adam was meant to live in the very beginning. It is a restoration of God's original plan. Wow. Beautiful. You said you had another quote. I do from St. Jerome, but it, yeah. it, it, it's, it's more directly specifically regarding this last line that we heard in the gospel verse eight. Yeah. Matthew chapter 10 verse eight. Yeah. Verse eight says, Go ahead, Annie. Oh, you want me to read it? Read okay. it. It is well, says, I'm going to read it for my RSV because I like the translation better. Yeah, I was sorry. Okay? I was trying to find it in my RSV. You Go ahead. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive, give without pay, or you receive freely, give freely, right? Okay, now is my opportunity for a hobby horse because I am sick and tired of packaged Jesus being sold on the market. So let me let me just let me be clear. I realize that a lot of organizations are doing a lot of good. Packaging up new gospels, new new not new new, new bibles, bible studies, selling tickets to conferences. I realize they're doing a lot of good. But you want to know what's going on, what that model feeds? It feeds those who are already fed. Because you know who's going to go buy a ticket to the conference of the superstar Bible Catholic guy? 
it's it's going to be the daily mass going rosary prayer, which uh, God bless them. They need to be fed too. But when we do that, we forget about all those that are the hangnail of the body of Christ, of which I'm one. Yeah? All of those who are starving to death. And I have to say that in the last five years, I have seen a transformation in the Catholic nonprofit world in which actually there's a lot of nonprofits, educational nonprofits that are coming into a way of life that was owned solely by the Institute. Yes, I believe they're looking at us and they're saying, whoa, the ICC is growing because they're following the directives of the Lord. You receive freely, give freely. And so now, God bless a lot of other nonprofits also providing good, solid education, free of charge. But sadly, behind the behind that free is always a paywall. And I, I do believe that it's time that we return to the model of Jesus Christ, who gave to all of us the greatest gift we could have ever received. And it's not only now our opportunity to say thank you to the Lord. But then to live in his image and likeness and taking this gift, give it freely to others. Allow Dr. Cutterback to speak to others, Father Scalia to teach others, the great teachers at the ICC to spread the word of God freely. Yeah? Your support for the ICC does that. Do not ever, please, for the love of God, never send in a donation because it pays for what you received. You rescind in a donation to the ICC so that what you received can be given to many, many others. And that, my brothers and sisters, is an invitation, not an obligation, not packaging up and selling Jesus in short sound bites, but in the splendor of truth that he has given to us. Annie, I do believe we're out of time. You're right. Right. But you still haven't given me that quote. Ah, so let me finish with the quote. Thus, St. Jerome says, I think we can conclude with, um, with the wisdom of St. Jerome. He says, lest anyone hold as unworthy of belief these rough men bereft of eloquence, unschooled and unlettered as they promised the kingdom of heaven. Jesus empowered them to cure the sick, cleanse the lepers, and cast out devils. Many signs would confirm the promises made. And because spiritual gifts are, defi are defiled, if connected with rewards, Jesus adds a condemnation of avarice. Freely you have received, freely give. I, your Lord and Master, have given this to you without cost. You should give lest the grace of the gospel be corrupted. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.